Here in the 34th chapter of Deuteronomy, the book closes beginning in verse 1. Then Moses climbed to the top of Mount Nebo, across the plains of Moab to the top of Pisgah. And the Lord showed him the whole land from Gilead to Dan, all of Naphtali, the territory of Ephraim and Manasseh, and all the land of Judah to the Mediterranean Sea, the Negev, the whole region of the Valley of Jericho, the city of Palms, as far as Zoar. And the Lord said to him, This is the land that I swore on oath to your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, when I said, I will give it to your descendants. And I've let you see it with your eyes, but you will not cross over and enter into it. So there, Moses, the servant of the Lord, died in Moab as the Lord had said. And he buried him there in Moab in a valley across from Beth Peor. But to this day, no one knows where the grave is. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. I noticed last night that Indiana Jones was back on TV looking for the Ark of the Covenant. Earlier on the week in uh, one of the history channels, they had a story about the effect that Indiana Jones and the movies when they first started coming out in the 80s has had on archaeology and how increasing number of people are going into the field of archaeology because of the movies. And I started thinking about the things that Indiana Jones uh, hasn't looked for yet, things that uh, he may go on a quest for. Certainly, he could look for Noah's Ark. No one's found it yet. He might also look for the tomb of David. If you go to Jerusalem, there is a site that is advertised as the tomb of David. But historians and archaeologists agree that that tomb goes back to the days of of the Crusaders. So it's really about 2,000 years after David had died. And, of course, he could always go look for the burial place of Moses. But if you were looking for Moses' burial place, where would you go? What clues would you follow? So I thought we'd take a moment this morning and just uh, look at Deuteronomy 34 and see what kind of things we learn about Moses and his burial from the text. The first thing we note, note is this. When we last saw Moses, he was climbing 120 years old, and he is climbing Mount Nebo. I don't know if that helps us too much with the burial place, but we see this about Moses, that the kind of intense, passionate commitment that he had to doing what God called him to do carries forth all the days of his life, even until the very end. My friend and colleague Scott Hare a couple years ago uh, climbed one of the traditional sites for Mount Sinai. And one of the things about the climb is that it took six hours to get up uh, to Mount Sinai. Uh, up Mount Sinai. And if you look at Exodus, one of the things the scripture says is that God called Moses up there and then sent Moses right back down immediately and then called him back up again. And now we realize what commitment Moses must have had at 80 to be able to do that. And here he is at 120, still climbing. One of the things it teaches me is that you and I may retire from our occupation, but we do not retire from our walk with God. That God continues at whatever age and whatever station we find ourselves to call us forward into new experiences with God. Well, what else do we see Moses doing? Well, 
at the end of Deuteronomy, we see Moses basically taking a survey. A lot of scholars, when they look at this text, believe that what Moses is doing by spying out the whole land is, in a sense, making a survey of the land, which it basically equals making a legal claim. So what we see in Deuteronomy 34 is Moses is going to claim all this territory, which is pre-1967 boundaries, I mean really pre-boundaries, claiming them for the people. Well, now if he's doing that, think about it. He's claiming for them land on which he will never set foot. He is claiming for them something that he will never himself enjoy. Moses is about a legacy that he is leaving for the people who are behind him. You know, this sort of attitude helps me understand a strange verse, and at least it was strange to me for a number of years in the book of Genesis, talking about the journeys of Abraham. And it talks about Abraham getting to one place in his desert journey, and it said, And Abraham planted there a tamarisk tree. Well, I always thought, well, that's nice. It's good to know that Abraham is green. You know, it's good to know he cares about plants and trees. But here's the deal. A tamarisk tree provides shade, but... It will take centuries before that tree, at the rate it grows, will be able to provide shade for anyone. Let me put it another way. Abraham in Genesis plants a shade tree under which he will never sit. A tree that will never bless him. He does it for the people coming behind him. And when we come here on Memorial Day weekend, isn't that part of what we're celebrating and and remembering today? People who gave themselves... And preserved for us are won for us things that they would no longer get to enjoy for themselves. We celebrate and remember our people who were not about themselves, but they were about other people and the people who would come after them. And we see in Moses' last act, if this is indeed a survey, we see in his last breaths he's doing things for the people who come behind him. One of the last visits I had to Israel, we were climbing up a, a, a path, and like so many paths, it was covered with rocks. And one of the things our leader did was pick up a rock on the path and throw it out of the way. So everyone following the leader did exactly the same thing. And then when we got to the top, he explained that that's something rabbis have been doing with their disciples for generation after generation, teaching them that when you go through life, you try to make it a better and clearer path for the people who come behind you. You Try to clear some of the obstacles out of the way for those who follow. And we see this in Moses. He lives his life to the very end, not for himself, but for the benefit of those who will come after him. Well, we also see Moses at the end in a very um, personal and intimate relationship with God, so much so that no one else uh, gets to observe it and participate in it. It's interesting what the rabbis have done through uh, the centuries with the story. They noticed that it says in, in the translation I gave you that Moses died as God had said. Another translation says Moses died by the command or the word of the Lord. Well, what they did with that is they would say that Moses died by the mouth of God. And as they got to talking and praying about that, they decided that Moses died uh, when God gently kissed Moses and took his life from him. And so comes a phrase that's passed down through the years called the kiss of death. And the kiss of death is to die gently and peacefully. 
And so what we see is a very intimate relationship in this kiss between God and Moses. Well, you may look at the scripture and say, I don't see that, and, and I don't know that I do. But I can tell you what else is in Deuteronomy. It says this, that Moses spoke with God face to face. There is between God and Moses an intensely personal relationship. And I tell you this because one of the things it teaches me is that if I want to persevere and keep climbing God's mountains to the end, if I want my life to leave a legacy and bless the people who come behind me, maybe the key is not so much my efforts, but maybe it's a byproduct that comes out of my relationship with God. That if I will deepen my walk with God, my communion with God, my relationship with God, then as a byproduct, my life will be a blessing to those who are around me. Sometimes we get things reversed and we seek to try to go out and be a blessing in the name of God. But apart from drawing our strength and energy from a relationship with God, we end up sometimes flaming out or even burning others in our efforts. Well, while it doesn't help me locate the burial place of Moses, it helps me understand why Moses had such great passion and commitment to the end. It came out of this deep personal relationship with God. Well, the last thing we find out about Moses is, well, he vanishes. That that God buries uh, Moses. God, God does it and doesn't tell anybody else where God has done this. Just a general location in the valley in Moab opposite Beth Peor. That's all we know. And we're not given any other direction. And we're told nobody knows where this is. Well, one of the things when uh, biblical scholars and people who love the scriptures talk about this, one of the things they see right away is that God is doing this because God doesn't want people to make an idol or a shrine of Moses' gravesite. Uh, One of the interesting things about Judaism that separates it from other uh, great religions is this, that the Jews, as it is said, always sanctify time, not spaces. Not place, and so they celebrate the festivals, whether it be Passover or, uh, or the, the Sukkot or Shavuot or Pentecost or Tabernacles. They celebrate time. They don't celebrate necessarily a place, and so nobody goes to worship, uh, or nobody is to go and worship at a place, and so it keeps them from making Moses' grave an idol. That makes sense to me, but other people that write about it say this: that one of the things about Moses' grave is, is that it's outside the Promised Land. And if people are flocking there and gathering there, then they are not staying on the journey that God has for them, which is across the Jordan. It is not from Mount Nebo. The journey means they will move in to the promised land. And that's very helpful to me because I don't know if you've ever had um, the sense where something happened to your life was just, it didn't get any better than that, that God had to be there. I mean, I can so often see God in hindsight. God was there. That was really a blessing. And so what happens is, rather than to seek God in the present and to go toward the future toward which God has us, we get tempted to think, well, that church, that retreat, that time of prayer, that service, that person, we tend to uh, locate God in some past place or event. And God simply was not willing for that to happen. For the the people of God, God would be known by these past events to be sure. And there are all sorts of psalms that celebrate the great history of things God has done. But God wants people continually moving into the present. The issue is not where was God, but the issue is where is God and God is with them. And not only that, but going before them and calling them in 
to the promised land. And I think that that's one of the reasons why Moses' burial site is hid from the people. Because God wants them moving forward, not congregating at some back place. And what's most amazing to me about the story of Moses' burial is simply that, that nobody does go to look. That nobody does go to try to find where God has placed Moses because they get it. They understand that life is about the journey. It's about going with God. It's not about looking where God was, but it's about going, knowing that God is with you and is calling you forward. You probably know that the Orthodox Jews are very careful about not using God's name. And so they have a variety of names for God uh, in, in that place, including calling God the name. Well, one of the things that they get from Moses that they would often call God is the place. They would call God the place. And it reminded them that the destination was not some place or some event or some experience, but the destination was God. That they were going toward God always and they were going with God always. And that didn't leave a whole lot of time for stopping at some back place. It meant they moved forward and they moved forward together and knowing they were not alone that God was with them. And God actually became the destination. Life is a journey. And any place that we are is where God is. And it called them to recognize that. I think one of the best ways I can illustrate this is with an, an old story. Soren Kierkegaard told it 150 years ago. The story is about a, a circus that was coming to town. And the little boy was desperate to see the circus, so he begged his parents and begged his parents, please, please. Finally, they relented, and they gave him enough money to leave the farm uh, for the day and go into town and see the circus. So with great excitement... He went into town to see the circus. Now, in those days, the circus didn't just roll in and set up at the Alamo Dome, as it were. They advertised themselves with a giant parade as they went to the place where the circus would be located. So you would see the elephants, and you would see uh, the acrobats so they wouldn't be doing any tricks. You would see the lions. You would see the clowns. You would see everyone who was in the circus as they were on their way to where the circus would be set up as a way of advertising the circus. Well, the boy got there while the circus parade was still going on. And with great excitement, when he saw the elephants, when he saw the lions, uh, when he saw the, uh, the acrobats dressed in uh, their outfits, he was so excited, he took all his money to get into the circus and gave it to one of the clowns and went home. Thinking, of course, that he'd seen the circus. And Kierkegaard's point, and I think probably God through Moses' point is simply this. Don't let some clown tell you that you've experienced all that you're going to experience of God in your life. Don't let some clown tell you that God is back there in some event or person or place. But know that God is always with you and God is is always ahead of you. And as you continue to journey with God and Christ, you will find that you're always in the place.